The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Everyone started to gravitate towards the audiobook, and the audiobook is what really drove the numbers for us. I mean, the audiobook was a smash hit. So, I mean, the whole thing was, but the audiobook is what people really gravitated to, and that's what's still um, at the top, you know, the top 15 on Audible still uh, to this day. So, that's the one that's that's really kind of driven the sales for David. And uh, and so again, it's kind of luck. You know, we could they couldn't get a hold of the book. So they went to the audiobook, and the audiobook is what really drove the word of mouth. Hey there, and welcome back to The Writer Files. I'm your host, Kelton Reed. And in part two of this file, we return with an exclusive look into the process behind not only how a writer gets paid to ghostwrite a title for a celebrity, but also the writing research and indie publishing of a book that sat on top of the Amazon charts for over a year. And a note on this one, we had to get a special permission from the incredible human and author, David Goggins, to share this story. So this is truly an exclusive, but it's no secret that the book was written by my good friend. From the ideation of David Goggins' best-selling book, Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds, to publishing with Lioncrest in the experimental new media formats like an audiobook slash podcast and beyond, this is a glimpse behind the camouflage curtain. Can't Hurt Me shares Goggin's astonishing life story and reveals that most of us tap into only 40% of our capabilities. He calls this the 40% rule, and his story illuminates a path that anyone can follow to push past pain, demolish fear, and reach their potential. The writer, or ghostwriter in this case, is an award-winning international journalist, author, serial pundit, and bad penny, Adam Skolnick. If you missed the first half of this show, you can find it in the show notes. In part two of this file, Adam and I discussed the importance of a large social following for nonfiction authors, how timing plays such a big role in self-publishing success, why an audiobook slash podcast hybrid might be the next big thing for authors the golden age for ghostwriting opportunities, how David Goggin's inspiring message goes beyond cookie-cutter self-help, and why there's no finish line for writers. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow 
to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Originally, he'd come back with comments. And then towards the end of the project, we were going over like the fine tooth comb stuff. You know, he was kind of getting annoyed with me because I was kind of defending territory because it kind of like I felt like it was, you know, I was like arguing to keep stuff in that he might want to change slightly or vice versa. But, you know, you, what I've what I came to realize is that uh, over over time, I've come to realize this is that, you know, you at first when you're a young writer, you kind of fight for all this territory. But really, things can change. And the if the overall project is so solid and so good, um, a little change here or there doesn't affect it. Um, but still, sometimes I get a little bit tunnel vision. And so I think he was talking about, about my resistance <laughs> because he would get annoyed with it. But, you know, that's just part of the process. And, and you know, uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Interesting. So then how do you how do you all link up with um, Tucker Max's company in Lioncrest? And had that been the plan all along? Were you approached by them or you yeah. know, how did, how did that, that come to be? David. So really all I was, um, da- so David's manager, Jennifer Kish and David and I were kind of working together on this project from the beginning. And so Jennifer was kind of tasked with, if we're not going with Harper One, if we're, if we're going to publish ourselves, what's the best way to do that? So then David and Jennifer um, linked up with Tucker, Tucker Max, who had a company called Book in the Box. Now it's called Scribe where they can, um, where they create self-published books for people who want a book. Um, they can do it, everything from, you know, interview you and write your book for you, um, or they can just edit the book you've already, manuscript you've already got, and then get it published, which is what they did for us. So um, we ended up having an editor that they kind of put us in contact with through one of, one of their editors, and then they did the publishing. So that's how that worked. Jennifer and David found them. Um, I don't know exactly the process they went through to find Tucker and his company, uh, but we ended up with them straight away. Had a good working relationship with them, and you know the, what what was ended up being interesting about that choice is the book wouldn't have come out until the spring of this year, 2019, if we hmm. had stayed with Harper One. That would have been the earliest it had come out. Um, and in this case, we were able to we finished the we locked the manuscript in like July or so or August. And the book is out in December. So we were able to, to speed it up. And one thing that I've learned from having this success is that although the story is phenomenal, David's social media footprint is phenomenal um, and his engagement's amazing. So that all plays a role. But timing plays plays a big role too. And the timing just worked out for us. Um, some some stuff by accident. For instance, they they I think they printed 50,000 copies to start with. And the book came out in early December. And sold those fifty thousand sold in like a couple of weeks, and it wow. wasn't even wasn't even Christmas, and we were out of books, and they weren't going to be able to get books again until like twenty until twenty nineteen. So this is like Jeez. December two thousand eighteen, and so the yeah. book had just rocketed to the top of the charts on Amazon, and then That's it was right. just like you couldn't get it. But what we also did was we'd gone in the studio and done an audio book, and everyone started to gravitate towards the audio book. And the audiobook is what really drove the numbers for us. I mean, the audiobook Amazing. was a smash hit. So, I mean, yeah. the whole thing was, but the audiobook is what people really gravitated to. And that's what's still um, at the top, you know, the top 15 on Audible still. 
uh, to this day. So that's the one that's that's really kind of driven the sales for David. And uh, and so again, it's kind of luck. You know, we could they couldn't mm-hmm. get a hold of the book, so they went to the audiobook, and the audiobook is what really drove the word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an amazing feat that you all pulled off because the audiobook is a hybrid audiobook and podcast. So basically what Adam and and David did was they got in the studio and Adam voiced, he narrates the book and then brings David in, in in interstitial pieces to do kind of a hybrid podcast where you're you you you're asking him questions about the book, he's sharing more in-depth stories maybe that weren't in the book, right? Yeah. And then talking about the challenges. Yeah, that was another um Another aspect of it uh, that I told him was a terrible idea. That's how you <laughs> read the book, <laughs> because because you know his popularity is really ingrained in these great viral Instagram yeah. videos that, that go viral on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, where he is talking to his audience, and then also his incredible podcasts, which are kind of interviews, but they're also uh, performances, you know, real, it's real life. He's just telling you, it's not a performance in, in calling it fake. It's a performance in the fact that he's a storyteller. And so he's so good that people want to hear his voice. That's what they love. So I yeah. thought he should read his own book. Um, right. And I thought that I should interview him in between chapters, but he was more comfortable with me reading the book um, and narrating the book and then bringing him in. And, you know, we, he was right there with me. We were in separate studios in the, sa- in the same recording studio, but in separate interview, you know, I guess separate studios within that, within that compound. And uh, so he was there the whole time on the mic with me. I would read and then we would kind of break off sometimes within a chapter, sometimes at the end of a chapter to, to discuss that period of his life. And so then it enabled him to have that podcast type interview freedom where he could get dig into material and 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 ramp up and tell the story and in the way he does it um the kind of thing that his listeners and his fans really love um and at the same time tell the story the way we laid it out on the page so it's kind of best of both worlds and his, it was his idea to bring me in you know like it should be said that most most authors do not bring their ghostwriters in like that and 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 make them a part of a team in that way so um that yeah. was the thing he another choice he made that's incredible Incredible story. So the audiobook it basically topping the charts. And then the book is still at the top of the charts as we speak. And I and I will ask you, did it finally beat Michelle Obama? <laughs> you know, there was a it was a funny period of time, like in the fir- when the book was first came out and it was doing so well, you'd look at like the top ranked Amazon authors and it was Michelle Obama, David Goggins, and then like uh, J.K. Rowling and you know John Grisham and like Stephen King and you know like, more, like <laughs> you know John Steinbeck yeah. and like all these people. Uh, so it was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, he surpassed Michelle Obama in sales a month, a week here, a week there, um, for for sure. Yeah, I mean the book, the book uh, for an independently published book to hit the New York Times bestseller list to be at the top of the Amazon charts kind of hitting all these different bestseller lists. It's just unheard of. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, he was able to do it. Sold a million copies. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. 
Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Congratulations to you both. It's a pretty, pretty miraculous uh, story and, and feat that, that uh, you know, thank you so much for sharing it because honestly, like, you know, how, how often would we get the chance to pick the brain of a, a best-selling ghostwriter? Because for the most part, we, we never know who these people are. <laughs> or, or ghosts. Uh, you know, yeah. in some ways, I've been, I think it's kind of the golden age of the ghostwriter in some way, if there's such a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Because... Oh, the way nonfiction books are sold now is you really have to have a platform for for a lot of publishers to want a piece of your product, um, yeah. your book. So um, that means usually a social media following of some kind. Uh, fiction is not nearly as important, but nonfiction books a lot of times are driven by social media, and it, because yeah. you can you can sell books, right? You're bringing you're not they're not just buying an idea or a piece of writing. They're buying a platform from which you can sell books, so they're you know guaranteed to make their money back. Is the idea thinking? It's not always doesn't always work out that way, but that's how it's been more so lately. And so, what does what does that mean? Well, not everybody with a big social media following is capable of writing a book. Some people are, some people aren't. So uh, that that opens up even more possibilities for ghostwriters. So I think in some ways. Um, it really is kind of a, a golden age for ghostwriting, which is an opportunity then for working writers, who I know a lot of your listeners are, to get involved in those kind of ghostwriting collaborations. Because if you do your agreement properly, um, you can you can make a decent living and then also have some back end that if it becomes a hit, could be really good for you going forward, um, that kind of stuff. So uh, I definitely yeah. encourage writers uh, talking to their agents about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, what's cool about it, I think, especially for you and how you came to write this book with David is just that you had this um, background as an award-winning sports writer. So basically 
your experience with, you know, some of these extreme sports and covering stories for the New York Times put you in that position to, you know, do the do the one breath deal, which yeah. then led to this. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah. I think I, I think of myself. I mean, I, I did. Uh, uh, yeah, I think of myself as a generalist. I do write about sports, um, but I think of myself as a generalist from a journalist perspective. And I think that generalist idea, the fact that I'm interested in sports, but I'm also interested in um, human rights and in, you know, the mm -hmm. our American history and, um, you know, made put me in position to understand David's story, I think, from a perspective, from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. I was interested in, in David's, uh, uh, you know, it starts out in 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 the seventies in um, in Buffalo, New York, where he's right. kind of like working as a uh, a five year old, six year old, in his dad's uh, roller roller disco, uh, right. and and just like to the fact that I have a historical lens on this country enabled me to kind of understand it, I think, and understand what David went through in a way. Um, just and and so I think being a generalist helped me in that, in that regard. It, it continues to help me. I mean, it, 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 I think building a career made it challenging. The fact that I was interested in travel and sports and this and that made it hard for me to like have a brand, I guess, if you could say. Um, but now I think it's, it's helped me. It took a while, but I think it's, it's gotten there. Well, since then, I mean, obviously you've been working all the while on quite a few different um, pieces of journalism, some of the more fascinating, obviously, were not necessarily extreme sports related. Yeah, tell us, tell us what you've been working on. I know your latest is out, and it, it's titled "The Environmental Threat of Trump's Wall." Yes, this year, this year, I've kind of focused a lot on um, trying to focus on environmental stories. It was going to be like the year of kind of telling ocean type stories. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's kind of morphed it beyond that. You know, I think that's something that I've been wanting to do more of. And so I've been doing that. I feel like with kind of this existential threat of climate change or very real threat of climate change, um, ocean pollution issues are, are near and dear to me because I, I am in the ocean so much and I care about it so much. So, uh, so kind of the environment and oceans are always at the top of my list. And again, just being a generalist, liking, you know, I love telling the kind of adventure sports stories, but I also am interested in environmental stories and political stories. So uh, in November, April Wong, who's my wife and a collaborator, she's a photographer, and I went to Southern Arizona. We went down to Tucson for two weeks and kind of used Tucson as a base to explore the border area um, east and west of Tucson at the south, right on the border. And, uh, and we were there to kind of check out the new wall that's being built on uh, fe protected federal land. So one in a national monument called the Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument. And another near the San Bernardino National Wildlife Refuge, which is in um, kind of the eastern part of the so-called Tucson sector, which is a border patrol sector. And so those are the two places where this new wall is being built right now, kind of the newest ver the newest wall <laughs> that's being built or in, in those two areas. And uh, so we went down there and take, took a look at it from an environmental perspective, because I think a lot of times we're, we've been thinking about this fight for the wall in human terms, uh, me, me too, because, you know, 
we we conflate it with family separation and with these new hurdles for asylum seekers. And they all kind of play into the same thing, which is here is a president who's kind of implementing this new policy, but what are its effects? Um, and they can affect human beings. But in this case, um, he's been given the power because of a 2005 law that was passed as a budget rider that no one was paying attention to. Because of that law, he's been able to waive the Endangered Species Act, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, 41 total federal laws that he's been able to waive to get this thing built. Okay, but mm. that's one thing. But then what What are the potential impacts? So that's kind of what the story is about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would definitely link to that one. And um, we'll point at adamskolnick.com where you can find his latest. Um, obviously, Adam posts a lot of really, really beautiful photos um, over on Adam, Adam Skolnick on Instagram. I'm sorry, let me... Yeah. Yeah, it's just at Adam Skolnick on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, at Adam Skolnick on, on Instagram has uh, pictures uh, that are outstanding. A lot of those are by April, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're, you're I have a photographer. I outsource most of my photography <laughs> to you're a more talented. You're a photographer <laughs> and you're, you're a tech person. Yes. April, we yes. appreciate you. And chief financial officer. <laughs> oh, welcome to marriage, my friend. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, so let's go back to the book. Of course, the title is Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds by author David Goggins. And, you know, I mean, there is just something really, really unique and incredible about the story. And I I do understand why um, it has been a bestseller for so long. But yeah, he talks about this uh, 40% rule. And I don't think it's just, it's only applicable to, you know, like endurance, no, um, no. athletes. It's, it's applicable to almost everything, you know, in, in life and hurdles that you come up against. And so I wanted to talk about that because, you know, he speaks to what, like fortune 500s and kids and classrooms. Yep. And, yep. and he's just, he's incredibly inspiring for, for some different re- reasons that you might not grasp right away. Right. Well, he'll always say that he doesn't work the body hard because he wants to be the greatest endurance racer ever. Um, he works the body hard because it prepares his mind for life. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that because I wanted to ask you how um, working on the book with David and writing about these things maybe affected your own personal, you know, I don't know, your, your yeah. 
mentality, your, your, you know, any, any, any changes you notice? Because for me, there's a part of it that's, you know, it goes beyond those kind of the, the, the typical self-help book. Um, yeah. Yeah. because there's something very stoic about Mr. Goggins and, you know, and, and I know you and I have shared a lot of literature over the years that's, you know, covered ground from, you know, anything from Taoism to, to Buddhism and some All the way secular to the Car- things. Carlos Castaneda books, I think we were. Yeah, yeah. So we, well. we've shared a lot of yeah. kind of um, ideas that are, you know, non-traditional. But uh, talk a little bit about that, because there's something about Mr. Goggins that's, that's fascinating to me. And it, it's almost like he's a modern day samurai or something. And there's, yeah. a, there's a, Bo- a Buddhist piece to, to kind of unlo- unlocking these these things about the human mind. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and yeah, maybe, maybe it's effect on you personally. Yes. Well, I think one thing that I, that comes to mind is his open-mindedness. So when you think of a Navy SEAL or a special forces guy, open-minded isn't what you necessarily think you, you, you wouldn't describe somebody like that. You'd think that they were pretty, you know, had, we're kind of more didactic and this is how I do things. This is how I accomplish things. I mean, I would anyway, like a military mind is usually thought as someone who sets things out, creates a plan and does it. And open-mindedness isn't something you necessarily think of, but he's, you know, he's one of he, the more- He calls himself a knuckle dragger very often, which is kind yes. of funny, right? Yes. But I mean, open-mindedness in the sense that, you know, I think he, he takes being open-minded and makes it less of a mushy new age thing and more in, in a very raw, real uh, sense. And I think that's, I think that's kind of speaks to, to what you're talking about. And so he'd be open-minded about like, we might've had a good title, but he wants to have a great title. Or he might make it like, I'm open-minded about, uh, you know, can, can, I, can I break the record for pull-ups in a 24-hour period? It takes an open mind to, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why you can doubt yourself and put limits on yourself, but it takes an open mind to think in a more limitless way. It takes an open-minded person to say, I'm a hundred pounds overweight, but I still think I can be a Navy SEAL. So I think open-mindedness is one of his most marked qualities that I don't think people really get right away. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's that, you know, the fact that he has that open mind to put himself into positions that are going to cause a lot of suffering. You know, he he ran 100 miles without training. I didn't even know that was humanly possible. He proved it was possible because he had the open mind to say, maybe it is possible. Oh my gosh. Um, and so that's something. Uh, you spoke about the 40% rule. You know, one of his rules is that um, when we think we're at our 100% max capacity, whether we're running up a hill, we're on a treadmill, uh, or XYZ, we're probably at 40% of our capacity. And if you just push through that wall, you'll open up another 60% of capability. So that's something he talks about a lot. So I think from my perspective, I'm more open-minded having come through the, uh, through, so in in a more subtle way, that's where I would say I've, I've been impacted the most that I'm more open-minded, that I'm more willing to listen. I'm a better listener and I'm more confident from just having the interactions I had with David. That's not to say I was unconfident before, um, it's just to say that I'm a little bit more, more confident. I'm a, I'm a lot more open-minded. Um, I would never try to protect like punctuation in a sentence anymore. Like I'm just not like 
thinking in those small things anymore. I think I was guarding smaller territory and now I'm, 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 I'm less inclined to guard small territory and, and take mm-hmm. in the big picture a bit more. I think, you know, people do ask me that, like what's impacted me. I mean, I would, I would, I mean, I'm, I'm 48 years old, you know, like I'm not saying I'm not a, I'm not a finished product. No one's a finished product, but I've, I've, <laughs> I've certainly have my fixed areas and, and, and I've lived long enough to be a confident person. So I wouldn't say that like my life has completely changed in some sort of direction. I mean, it has in just the sense of having the success is really great. Uh, but, but yeah, so I think it's more subtle things like just being a little bit more open-minded. Uh, you know, I'm definitely one, one concrete thing is I'm going to circuit training now. I, when I, when I met him, I was just in the ocean all the time working out all my exercise was swimming and a little bit of running. And now, um, now I'm actually doing these grueling circuit workouts, which are a yeah. nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I'm in better shape now that I've been in, you know, in a long, long, long time. So, yeah. uh, that's gotta relate. That's gotta relate back to David for sure. So do you find yourself then applying some of what he talks about to yes. that yes, finding, yes, yes, finding yes. you know, because he's talking about suffering a lot yes, yes. and, you know, finding this place in your mind that, that, you know, or discovering places in your mind that you, that nobody really knew existed until they get to this place. And so when you're, when you're standing on the, on the podium, you know, like after a, an ultra marathon with these guys, you know, there's not a lot, he's saying something like, there's no, there's really no finish line. Like you get there right. and these guys kind of have this, they have this same look like what's next, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I feel like, and that's true. You know, that's a great parallel for your listeners, for writers in particular, in particular, because we can always, we finally, we get to a place and when something is published and we think, all right, I get to share it and I get to like see the reaction. And pretty quickly you realize that like, okay, what's next? You know, like yeah. not just because you have to to make a living. In some cases, it's that, but in some cases, it's just what's next because the actual reward is in the work itself. Um, you talked about a stoic, a stoic a stoicism within kind of the Goggins mindset and a Buddhist element. Um, that's in you know he talks a lot about the suffering and finding within the suffering is where he found his kind of connection to a life beyond the suffering, to a place beyond the suffering of light and um, appreciation for everything Mm -hmm. he had to deal with. I think the book ends in a really positive direction that people didn't expect, and it comes through that, what you're talking about. So yeah, he, there's no doubt about the fact that he looks at the suffering, and to him, that's home. Getting to a place where he has to fight his demons and overcome pain and suffering and find a way to him that's home. He just competed in uh, a 250 mile race in, or 240, 240, 250 mile race in, in Moab, Utah. And in that race, he was right on the heels of of the first place finisher and uh, someone like some sign got blown down. He went off course about, you know, seven or eight miles and had to run back. So now he's 15 miles. He had, to, he had added 15 miles onto 250 miles. Then he's going up, uh, up 10,000 foot peak and he has a uh, pulmonary edema from uh, altitude yeah. because he'd already run some 200 miles up to that point. So he has to leave and go seek medical attention. So he already gets a DNF. He did not finish. He's out. He had to leave because he had to go to the hospital. But then he wakes up feeling fine back in Moab 
looking and seeing there's still some people out there on the course, not the winners, but there's still people out there on the course fighting and suffering. He goes back out onto the course where he left the night before and finishes the race, even though he'd already gotten a DNF, even though it wouldn't have counted as an official finish, he went (laughs) and finished the race because to him, that's home. And when I called him when he was on his way out there or I texted him saying, good luck, um, he said, you know, good luck out there. Uh, you know, he goes, he goes, I'm going home, brother. This is what, you know, that, that's what he was saying. This is, that's what he was looking forward to. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And he's a philanthropic guy and, and very, very gracious and, and with his time and, and his, uh, causes and, and I mean, he's just a truly, truly remarkable human being. So please send our regards and, 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 uh, again, a huge thank you for taking the time to do this. The book is Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds. And it shares Mr. Goggins' astonishing life story, reveals, um, you know, a part of the human mind that a lot of us don't know exists. And uh, his story illuminates a path that anyone can follow to push past pain, demolish fear, and reach their full potential. Adam, thank you for doing this, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. I'm sure we could talk forever. I know you got to go. Um, I'm going to point at Adam Skolnick dot com uh adam skolnick on instagram and twitter at adam skolnick and a handful of other great resources this book of course your latest for outside what else do you want to uh drop before we drop the mic uh you know just thank you for and and you know for this great resource that is the writer files and uh and for your listeners for tuning in we appreciate it appreciate the time Uh, Well, the pleasure is all mine. As you know, this is a labor of love. And listeners, I love you. (laughs) Is that a weird way to stop? No, I like that. (laughs) That's good. I love you all. (laughs) I love you so much. Besos. Um, all right, man. I think we'll, I think we'll stop it. We'll stop somewhere in there. Is that really weird? (laughs) Somewhere in there, you'll stop. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. 